chapter. But uh, hear God's word, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 1, nine, page 977. This is the word of God. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is uh, the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, we praise you that we can gather together as your church um, to sing your praises, to offer up our prayers, to, to feed upon your word, to celebrate um, the Lord's Supper together. We pray, even now, that, that your Holy Spirit would be graciously giving to us uh, attentive minds, listening ears, hungry hearts, uh, so that we might hear your word, love your word, live by your word, uh, by your grace and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, uh, Psalm 133 is our uh, sermon text, so I'd invite you to keep your Bibles open to uh, Psalm 133. That's on page 519. You know, thinking about a, a key word this morning in Psalm 133, and that's the word unity. 
You know, when it comes, what comes to mind when you hear that word unity? You know, the word has special meanings in math and in law and in literature. Uh, for most ordinary people, though, uh, unity means that separate things and people are joined together as whole, as, as one. We're all pulling together uh, in one accord. Uh, not that I know Latin, but there's a Latin phrase, you might have heard it, e pluribus unum, meaning one from many, or out of many, one. It was a motto proposed for the first great seal of the United States uh, by John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson. Back in 1776, it's thought that the phrase came to the forefront uh, then with the 13 original colonies of our country became a, a new unified nation. You know, this motto can still be found on most of our coins. Psalm 133 speaks about unity, a gospel unity in the Lord. We're at um, the 14th Psalm of Ascent. You know, one more to, to go, 134 next Lord's Day. You know, 15 Psalms that were sung by God's people as they were going up to Jerusalem. There's the ascent to, to worship the Lord at one of the three great annual feasts. They were pre- preparing to, to go um, to Zion to give, all, to give God all praise and honor and glory. You know, it's been a, a prolonged and yet a purposeful journey by God's children, as they head up to to worship the Lord. You know, for protection of faith and for the precious fellowship of faith, they've been marching together. You know, all good reason to believe that they're marching in in mass, maybe not in military formation, you know, but they're walking together as families. They're they're singing these psalms under the way. You know, it's good for us uh, to sing the psalms, especially this psalm, this psalm about unity, about gospel unity. And, you know, here, um, let us uh, focus on that truth that God's word guides us, guides his church as we grow in gospel unity. You know, again, this is another one of the, the short psalms into the Psalms of Ascent. Just three verses, and yet three rich verses. And what can we learn about gospel unity? Verse 1, it's a good witness. Second verse, uh, the gracious spread of unity. And finally, there should be a growth in in gospel unity. Well, let's dig in. Uh, The good witness of gospel unity. Note there in our our ESV, and I think it's true in the King James as well, the first word is that word, behold. You know, it's it's a command. It ought to resonate in, in our ears. Stop, look, listen. Uh, the men have been reading through The Mystery of Providence by John Fla- Flavel. 
And and, uh, he calls the word behold a a note of attention to the narrative. So whenever you read that word behold, you know, if you've been dozing or not paying attention, you know, here is that word to to perk up, make us perk up and and, uh, pay close attention. We've seen that word already in these Psalms of Ascent. Uh, Psalm 121, verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. Uh, Psalm 128, verse 4. Behold, thus shall the man be, be blessed who fears the Lord. And now, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. We're going to see that word again in Psalm 134 next week. So the first word in that verse is the word behold, but the last word, both in the English and the Hebrew, is the word unity. You know, that's the central gospel truth here in Psalm 133. Can also be understood those who dwell together. You know, those who are united. There, There is a steadfast spiritual solidarity here. You know, think of the analogy used by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. We're we're the body of believers who are united in Christ. Christ is is the head. We read about in Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. We're united as a body, and Christ is the head of that body. You know, that that note of, of union, the Lord God providentially binds us together in Christian love. You know, there's no such thing as a solitary faith in Christ. I'm doing my own thing. You know, it's always a, a shared faith, a, a faith that unites us in, in Christ. And Christians can rejoice And God's designed for us to abide together in union with Christ. So behold, unity. And still verse 1, you know, behold how good and pleasant it is. You know, it it would be easy to to brush those words off and just to to race ahead. But but each of those are, are important descriptions here. Good. You remember back to Genesis 1, at the end of every creation day, you know, what did God say? And it was good. Say it again. It was, there you go, created male and female in his image. It was very good. So it's good, good in God's eyes. And then it is pleasant. You know, we don't use that adjective too often. You know, it's, it can also be understood as delightful. You know, it's delightful for us. Alec Motier said that word pleasant, it emphasized the subjective experience. You know, it's good in God's eyes, but it's pleasant to us as well. You know, to dwell together in unity. You know, and then again, verse 1, when brothers, brethren, and we could expand that, 
say brothers, sisters, children, young, old, rich, poor, when, when all those who, who name the name of Christ, when they dwell together in unity, they live together in the love of Christ. Now again, turn with me for a New York Minute to Ephesians 4. You know, asked the children, anyone have an answer? How many times do we see the word one? You got it, Archie? Okay, I'll ask you after church. Or you can, any of the adults too, you can participate. You know, at least nine times. You know, that, that word one. One body, spirit, hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father and all, grace given to each one of us. And then you skip ahead to verse 13, until we all attain to the unity. You know, there, there's that truth. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That, that, that's a unity on this side of heaven. It's a foretaste of glory. You know, if God's word teaches us about the goodness of gospel unity, back to Psalm 133, what's the flip side? I think we saw it there in our confession of sin. It, it's a sin to sow seeds of gospel discord. You know, how does disunity develop? You know, I'll give you a few examples from my however many years pastoral experience. A lot of times in churches, praise God it's not here, but uh, over worship music. Okay, what songs, what hymns are we going to sing? Are we going to have instruments? No instruments, you know. Civil wars over worship music. Pastored a church where they didn't want any babies in the church, babies crying. I believe that's a sin. Not a wise decision. You know, parents here, they're very good. Babies start crying, they, they care for them. I'm glad to hear them, glad they're bringing babies to church. Uh, versions of the Bible. You know, some people will, you know, put their stake in the ground. This is the only version of the Bible to use. You know, had a, a, a husband and wife who were attending church for a while, and they left the church, never joined it. But they, I heard through uh, someone in the church, they left because I didn't quote enough Francis Schaeffer. You know, and I, I love Francis Schaefer. Um, pastored, you know, sometimes raising hands. You know, do we raise hands, not raise hands, raise them high, low? I'll, I'll leave that between you and the Lord. Uh, you know, it, it's a part of worship. You know, had a, a pastor friend in one town. I pastored in the same town. You know, it was a country town, too, and... They asked him to leave the church because he drove his pickup truck to the funerals. And they thought that was the wrong thing to do. A good godly man. You know, I could go on and you could probably add to the list and don't want to um, wallow in it. You know, but, but here's the truth. 
you know, before we leave this part of verse 1, the good witness of gospel unity, you know, when God's church enjoys a biblical unity in Christ, it blesses every saint and serves as a good gospel witness to a fallen world around us. A lot of discord everywhere. Politics, education, sports, you know, you name it. You know, and who should be united in, in Christ? You know, Christ's church. You know, it's a good witness, not, not only to the church family, but to, to a watching world around us. You know, it's not uniformity. You know, it doesn't mean that we wear the same clothes, speak the same language, live in the same neighborhood. You know, but, but we look at the important things, the biblical things that, that unite us as Christ church. The good witness of gospel unity, the gracious source of gospel unity. Look now at verse 2 of Psalm 133. It, it Speaking of unity, it's like the precious oil on the head running down, and then again running down. It's anointing oil. Look at, you know, right, if you're taking notes, Exodus 30. won't take the time to go through it. I know our ladies will be through there in the spring, I believe. You know, what was the anointing oil? It was the finest spices of liquid myrrh. Sweet-smelling cinnamon, aromatic cane, cassia, and olive oil. They were all blended together. You know, Leviticus 8, verse 12, calls it a holy anointing oil. Moses anointed Aaron, the high priest. We read Leviticus 8, verse 12, and he, that is Moses, poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. You know, you you are God's high priest. You are set apart by God uh, to carry on God's kingdom work. You know, and, and we have that picture here. You know, in Psalm 133, that, that anointing oil as well is a sign of God's presence, a symbol of the Holy Spirit as well. You know, I was thinking about having you close your eyes and picture this in your mind, but I was afraid someone might doze off. But using your sanctified imagination, you know, picture this, this precious, you know, aromatic, you know, you, you can s- smell it, you know, a sweet fragrance. You know, picture this, you know, being poured on Aaron's head and not, not just a couple drops. You know, the, this oil is, is, is poured out generously, graciously on Aaron. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, hear this in verse 2, running down on the beard. You know, back then they had long beards. You know, so going down his head, running down his face, going down his beard. You know, a little uh, discussion here about translation. The ESV says running down on the collar of his robes. Might have been, you know, touching the collar or running inside the collar, but that can also be understood as the hem of his garments. 
And, and I believe that's a better way of, of envisioning it as the Bible describes it. It goes from his head to his feet. You know, the, this precious anointing oil. And two times we hear that phrase, running down, running down. You know, but there's a gracious source to all of this. And I believe we're, we're to think of the Lord himself, you know, with this ever-flowing oil. There's an account, First Kings 17, you can look at it. You know, Elijah meets with the, the widow of Zarephath. She's in need of, of bread and oil for the bread. And uh, Elijah tells her, you know, just keep, Pouring, and, and that oil keeps pouring out of that jar. It's an ever-flowing jar of oil. You know, in thinking about the gracious source of gospel unity that we read about here in Psalm 133, verse 2, you know, David Dixon writes this, just a sentence, but it's a, a longer, rich sentence. The blessing... It's not to be expected by any, but through Christ, on whom the oil of gladness and all the graces of the Spirit are first poured out, and then from him are carried to the meanest members of his body. You know, this is God's gracious oil, pouring out his Holy Spirit, his grace and, and love to us in Christ. You know, and what's the lesson here? At the very least, gospel unity is a gracious gift from our great and generous God. The anointing oil flows down. You know, it's a gospel unity, and again, thinking of this picture here, biblical picture, you know, this unity can be seen with the eyes, We can savor its fragrant aroma. You know, we can wonder at its bounty and blessing to Aaron and to us in Christ. It, it leads to glad praise. You know, unless we think, well, this is just Old Testament, remember Jesus' high priestly prayer for unity in, in John 17. What did he pray? John 17, 21. That they may be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's a union one with another, but, but it's also a union with the risen Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. Now take it a step further. What should God's gracious unity look like in Christ's church today? You know, running down Aaron's beard, running down his robes. You know, I believe there are five marks of gospel unity, at least five marks, but um, five to start with here. Try to move through these uh, one after the, another as swiftly as we, we can. But the first unity is unity in God's word. Unity in God's word. You know, uh, each Lord's Day, 
You know, we, we say that verse together, Isaiah 40, verse 8. Grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You know, what, what unites us? It's in the word of God. You know, our God gave us the Bible as bedrock, an unfailing foundation of our faith in Christ. You know, we, even in the Reformed faith, taught the new members class, you know, every theological truth, every part of the Reformed doctrine, we find it in Scripture. You know, Scripture is our authority, final authority. Secondly, there, there's unity and corporate worship of Christ on the Lord's Day. Just to give you forewarning, all of these signs of unity are, are going to be W, so God's word. Unity of corporate worship on, on the Lord's Day. You know, First Chronicles 16, verse 35 and 36. Let me read it for us. Our call to worship. You know, but, but listen to the pronouns. Save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. And the last phrase, then all the people said amen and praise the Lord. There's a unity as we come together. You know, after COVID, a lot of people say, well, I'll just stay home, watch live stream, you know, can stay in my pajamas, stay on the couch, don't have to shave. That sounds appealing. Um, and, but we come together, you know, not only as a command, but, but it's a blessing of corporate worship. You know, listen to to John Calvin's wisdom. Any concord, you know, any unity, it is thus insinuated, which may prevail among men, is insipid, you know, lukewarm. If it is not pervaded by a sweet savor of God's worship. You know, sweet savor of God's worship. You know, the third mark of of unity, gospel unity, unity of our walk of faith in Christ, God's word, corporate worship, you know, our walk of faith. That's what we see in the Psalms of Ascent. They, They are walking together, marching to Zion, gladly singing God's praises together. I'm sure there were families, single people, children with them. You know, walking together. You know, hear this from Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Not sure the last time I've quoted scripture from Amos, but you'll remember this verse. Amos 3, 3. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Can two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? You know, they're, they're, we're walking together in our faith in Christ. You know, if you go back again to Ephesians 4, verse 2, not going to preach two sermons, but there's a necessity of humility, gentleness, patience, persevering love. 
And then verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You know, it, it's, it's not just line up. It's not just an accessory. You know, we're, we ought to be eager, all of us, you know, to, to maintain, zealous, passionate about it. The unity of the spirit. You know, it's the Holy Spirit that God uses in the bond of peace. Unity in our walk of faith. Gospel unity, though, demands a devotion to biblical doctrine. You know, it's not just opinions or feelings or, or what's the flavor of the day. You know, it, 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 it resides and rests always in the authority of God's word. Fourth, a unity of our gospel witness for Christ, a unity of our gospel witness for Christ. You know, here are these verses, Acts 2, verses 46 and 47. Well, let me begin with verse 42 real quick, Acts 2, 42. And they devoted, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And now verse 46 And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And then this last phrase, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, there's a a gospel witness to our gospel unity. You know, our our lost, dying world around us is hungry for it. Not not just unity, but for the gospel. And and may the Lord use us as his church to display that. Gladly display it to, to a watching, weary world around us. Unity of our gospel witness. You know, and just so we all are on the same page of scripture, what's the gospel? You know, we're all sinners, sinners from birth, and we choose to sin. You know, sin separates us from God, but sin as well separates us from others. We cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior. But Jesus is that Savior. Not Christmas yet, but Matthew one twenty one. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Not only his name, but that's his work as well. Finally, unity in God's word, unity of corporate worship, unity in our walk of faith, unity of our gospel witness, unity in our gospel warfare. against Satan and the forces of evil. And we read Acts chapter 2, 46 and 47, just a few chapters later. You can read about it, Acts chapter 6. Stephen, who is one of the first deacons, you know, put to death by the religious authorities for his proclamation of the gospel. Satan is, is alive and well, that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, divide. You know, uh, then again, 
you know, just one more gospel or one more scriptural emphasis on it. Ephesians six eleven. you know, this is the armor of God. Just reading one verse. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You know, to, to put this in southern English, y'all put on the armor of God. It's not just one person, all believers. You all put on the armor, the whole armor of God, that you all may be able to stand together. You know, it, you know we, we need that gospel unity. You know, one soldier left on the, on the battle line for himself is dead meat. Uriah. You know, and, and so we stand together, you know, arm to arm, linked together for the, by the grace of Christ for the glory of God. Gospel unity is not a self-generated unity either. You know, our triune God lavishly pours out his gospel unity on the church and, and in a very merciful and mysterious way our our gospel unity reflects the unity between God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit finally our growth in in gospel unity third verse this will be a a little bit uh, a good end note here you know but but again it's it's a beautiful picture you know, a lot of reasons to, to love, to treasure Psalm 133. You know, but, but glorious word pictures. We've already seen that with the precious oil. But one more beautiful biblical picture of a genuine and growing gospel unity in, the, in God's church. A scriptural simile and actually, you know, two images here. First of geography and then of meteorology, of the weather. First, geography. Um, It is like the dew of Hermon. If you look at a map of Israel, Mount Hermon is is the northernmost point of Israel, 9,200 feet high, snow-capped. Imagine that. There's snow there in Israel. I've heard they they ski on, on Mount Hermon. The snow lingers there in the ravines. But, you know, here, here's the meteorology, meteorological fact. I'll get it out. You know, this, this snow in Hermon, on Hermon, you know, the, the air warms and cools and the winds carry that moisture all the way from Hermon down to Mount Zion, 40 miles south. You know, and then that dew falls on Zion. You know, and the kind of dew they're talking about, you know, it's not just an annoying dew. There's dew on my car. I've got to turn on the windshield wipers. No, it's a dew that that falls so heavily that that it waters, you know, the the plants, the crops. You know, and so it's not just a, a sweet thing. It, you know, it, this dew was vital to their life. You know, and God knew it. God planned it so that the dew of Hermon, 9,200 feet, would flow down to Mount Zion, 2,400 feet. 
You know, and, and water the, the, the fields, the crops, you know, around Zion. You know, again, just to, to show you the scriptural truth of, of dew, when Isaac blessed his son Jacob, not Esau, in Genesis twenty-seven twenty-eight, he said, May God give you the dew of heaven. And then again, Hosea 14, verse 5, I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like trees of Lebanon. So falling from Hermon on Zion, where the temple mount was, where they worshiped the Lord, you know, again, it, it comes from God as his gracious blessing, but, you know, for the growth of their crops. And I believe it points as well to our Need for God's due for our spiritual growth. And then finally, for there, you know, at Zion, Psalm 133, for there, Zion, the Lord has commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. You know, two parts to that. You know, the Lord has commanded the blessing. Quite often, for a benediction, read from Numbers 6, Aaron's blessing. Number 6, 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And there the Lord, back to Psalm 133, there the Lord commanded his blessing. Even life forevermore. You know, to paraphrase Dr. Jim Boyce, you know, our present gospel unity is the sweet foretaste of heaven. You know, when we gather together as God's people, centered on his word and worship to be his witnesses, fighting gospel warfare together, you know, it's a foretaste of heaven. No more sin in heaven, no more strife in heaven. You know, but, but our unity here as, as God's redeemed children, as his beloved church, you know, it's a foretaste of heaven. A story, true story. In our denomination, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, you know, we sing Psalm 133. You know, just same words that are there in your bulletin, different tune. We sing it at the end of every presbytery meeting, so that's three times a year. We sing it at the end of, of General Synod. You know, so that's once a year, so at least four times a year we're singing it, and it, uh, it caught me by surprise when I was new in the ARP 11, 12 years ago because all the men stand, they know the tune, and then they have all the words memorized. And so was, there was I, stumbling about, and uh, I tried to memorize the words, but as well, I carry a cheat sheet with me, so I can sing it uh, joyfully in, in union uh, with my brothers in Christ. You know, there are many things that can cause division or discord in, in a church. But rest assured, let us rejoice, you know, that God's word guides us as we 
by his grace and for his glory, uh, grow in gospel unity, you know, by the grace of God to us in Christ. All God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we, we thank you that Christ is king and head of the church. Thank you that we're part of the body of Christ, united with Christ, united with one another in love, Lord. We're united with you and with one another here on this side of heaven, and we're going to know the fullness, the sweetness, the fragrance, the beauty of that unity when we're with you in glory, surrounding the throne, singing your praises. And Lord God, um, we pray that we would be those who uh, labor together in love, serving you, serving your church, serving one another. By your grace and for your glory, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.